Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. We are coming up on the one-year anniversary of the senseless murder of 17-year-old Mackenzie Ridley. Uh, She was attending, I think it was a squirt gun fight at a park on the far east side when she was killed by a stray bullet that someone fired into the crowd on June the 24th, 2021. The murder remains unsolved. As does the murder of Olivia Kurtz, Bicentennial Park, uh, in close proximity to Mackenzie Ridley's murder. We have a lot of unsolved murders in the city of Columbus. The solve rate is about 50%. Uh, Mackenzie Ridley's family has um, done their best to move past their grief and pay tribute to her. Uh, her mother, Seneca Ridley Turner, you may see around town. You may see in downtown Columbus. She has a food truck, which she was going to partner with her daughter on and has continued that dream. The food truck is Soul Crave. And so uh, this is, I'm sure, something that motivates her to be successful as a way to pay tribute to her daughter. But no mother should have to go through that. And do I directly blame city officials? For this, of course not. They didn't fire the weapon. But when you cultivate a culture where young criminals are not fearful of consequences for their actions, then they engage in progressively bolder and bolder and bolder actions to get the same thrill or to prove their street cred or whatever it is to those around them. And when those situations spin horribly out of control, young people die senselessly. And that is certainly what happened with Mackenzie Ridley. So again, I say that I find uh, Sergeant Klein's letter uh, to our station very, very insightful as to crime in the city of Columbus. And these numbers that he cites in his letter will not be popular numbers because people say, oh, well, he's citing these numbers. He's a racist. Uh, facts are not racist, okay? Percentages, if accurate, are not racist. Uh, Reading from his letter, the disparity in violent crime in the city of Columbus can be seen in the homicide statistics from the Columbus Division of Police. Blacks comprise 78% of homicide victims and 82% of homicide suspects. And he notes that takes into account only known suspects. 
He says much more disturbing is the fact that the identity of approximately 50% of the homicides to blacks are unknown. Contrast that to white victims comprising 18% of the victims and 15% of the suspects. Male blacks are over 30 times more likely to be killed by a male black than a male white, and male whites are over three times more likely to be killed by a male black than a male white. In other words, male blacks are quite likely to be killed by another black male. White males are three times more likely to be killed by a black male than they are by a white male. And here's the number that really brings it all home. Noting, of course, earlier that blacks comprise 78% of homicide victims in the city and 82% of homicide suspects yet comprise less than 30% of Columbus's population. It is certainly not the case that blacks are incapable of obeying the law. That is a ridiculous takeaway from those numbers. What it is indicative of is that we have to do more. That's why I'm encouraged by people like Pastor John Coates, who attended this meeting last night that Elaine Bryan and LaShawna Potts spoke at. Uh, Pastor Coates is invested and is one of the few truth-tellers out there who will demand more of the people who he serves, noting that things are not going to get better until we expect more, ask more of young people in the city of Columbus, and particularly those young black people who are violating the law, who are repeatedly stealing cars, who are pistol-whipping people to steal those cars, and who have guns on them. And when you have a gun on you, guess what? You're more likely to use it than if you don't have it to use. So, will people ever get around to the point, as Sergeant Klein notes in his letter, of voting differently in the city of Columbus and not installing a Democratic mayor just because, well, I'm a minority and minorities vote Democrat, so I'm going to vote Democrat. If they vote on performance and not on appearance... Democrat versus Republican is what I mean by appearance, then Andrew Ginther would be in a lot of trouble if he ran for re-election. But this city was unquestionably safer and better run when it was run by Republicans. You can say whatever you want about Buck Reinhardt, about how braggadocious he was and how uh, volatile he was. You can say whatever you want to about Greg Lashutka and how boring he was. It's unquestionable that the city was in better hands than when it was handed over to Mike Coleman and now when it's under the leadership of Andrew Ginther. All right, switching gears. Last night I had the pleasure, and I do mean the pleasure, of attending the Greater Columbus Right to Life Annual Banquet, Villa Milano. The keynote speaker was Dr. Steve Hammond. And Dr. Steve Hammond is uh, a doctor from Jackson, Tennessee, who has a powerful story to tell. He went through his life story and how he initially was a physician who performed abortions. And then he had an abortion 
that much like Abby Johnston's experience, Abby Johnston, the lead character in the movie Unplanned, which is a true story of a former abortion clinic head, a star at Planned Parenthood, who finally, after years with the organization, actually observed an abortion and got a firsthand look at what exactly it is happening during an abortion. She became pro-life. Steve Hammond had the same experience when one of the babies that he was in the process of aborting kicked him. And Dr. Hammond last night, the things that stuck out to me from his speech, and by the way, I want to shout out Tom and Ginger, two people who did come over and say hello last night, loyal listeners to the show and big supporters of the pro-life movement, both in attendance last night. But Dr. Hammond at one point in time held up his hands and he said, God created this hands for these hands for healing, but I used these hands to kill over 700 babies. That was hard to hear, but what was amazing to behold was the clear peace that he's achieved in his life through his relationship with Christ via the forgiveness that he has received. And he talked eloquently about his faith and how it has driven him to become an advocate for the pro-life movement. He said at one point in time, because of our crazy attitude toward accepting abortion in this country, that no one looks at him the way they could, which is as one of the worst serial killers in history. That an abortionist, who takes the lives of hundreds of children is not looked at people and looked at the way we look at people like John Gacy or Jeffrey Dahmer, when in fact an abortionist has taken far more lives. But the other thing that was really, really interesting that came across last night was this lust of the pro-abortion movement for a death to result from a visit to an abortion clinic. You know, abortion proponents always say they are pro choice or pro-choice they're not pro-choice otherwise they wouldn't try to run off sidewalk counselors if they were pro-choice wouldn't they be about the woman having a clear choice instead they want that death they are pro-death not pro-choice that is clear from the way that Planned Parenthood operates Man, I have really good news for you. I know you're under the impression that gas is more expensive than it's ever been, that food prices are going up. And you might have heard that the stock market is in bear territory, 20% off its peak of January. But breaking news, Joe Biden just now speaking to the AFL-CIO in Philadelphia. And uh, things are... Things are so good, they're beyond good. I mean, just listen to how good things are. That's the approach I've taken to build this economy. What has to be done? Well, we brought down COVID deaths by 90%. Even though uh, COVID is uh, killed more people during his presidency than it did during Donald Trump's presidency, and Biden had two vaccines and therapeutics that Trump did not have. We opened schools and businesses that were shuttered. All It all created the greatest job recovery in American history. Uh, We are still below job levels uh, from pre-pandemic levels. But but, but never mind. Continue with your fantasy. 
People don't want to talk about these days, but it's true. Since I've become president, we've created 8.7 million new jobs in 16 months, an all-time record. Uh, no government has ever created any job ever. The private sector creates all jobs. Uh, but continue. And even last month, 390,000 jobs and 600,000 new manufacturing jobs. They said manufacturing is dead in America. Yeah, you know, you know who said manufacturing was dead in America? All the critics of Donald Trump. And then he proved that they were wrong. And now Joe Biden is trying to take a victory lap for something that Donald Trump reestablished. Uh, yeah, everything's great. Like, we got record this and record that. Uh, didn't mention inflation. Didn't mention escalating costs everywhere. Hmm. Will the American voter uh, be that forgiving of Joe Biden? Kellyanne Conway advisor to the Trump campaign and advisor during the first two years of the Trump presidency reflecting on Joe Biden's myriad issues. What's happening with economic angst now is not just the deflation of the Democratic Party, but people are making choices. They feel they're forced to make choices around the kitchen table that perhaps they otherwise would not. They're asking, where is the bottom? When will this end? They don't see Joe Biden as a man with a plan. And I think Governor Newsom of California speaks for many Democrats right now, including at the consultant level, certainly at the candidate level. They're openly wondering, what would be the message for Joe Biden to stand up, say, next year and say, four more years? Four more years of what? We see crisis and chaos everywhere. Um, You see smart people like David Axelrod. You see smart people like Gavin Newsom openly questioning whether Joe Biden has what it takes to stay in the job. And then you have the press secretary confirming, of all things, that Joe Biden, who has no really good policy prescriptions on the issues facing America right now, politically, he's resolute on running again. Uh, Yeah. Well, uh, what about running again? It's interesting, isn't it, that Tim Ryan, who's running against J.D. Vance for the U.S. Senate seat, and we'll have J.D. on the show at uh, 12.05. Tim Ryan has all but said by not saying that he does want Joe Biden to come. He is, in fact, saying, I don't want Joe Biden to come to Ohio and campaign for me. Uh, Gavin Newsom, the California governor, this is what Kellyanne Conway was talking about. Gavin Newsom trying to explain why candidates like Tim Ryan don't want Joe Biden to come and trying to do so without being critical of Joe Biden, which is a really good way to uh, twist yourself into a knot. Joe Biden is not the head of the Democratic Party. I mean, he happens to be president of the United States. It's not his job to organize at all levels the Democratic Party. That's the Democratic Party's responsibility. We have a Democratic Party. And yeah, where the hell are we as a party to capture the narrative, to capture the imagination of the American people? That's interesting. Joe Biden's not the head of the Democratic Party. He's the president of the United States. He's the most powerful man on earth, theoretically. But he's not the head of the Democratic Party. Ah, hmm. Is that uh, typical? Was Barack Obama the head of the Democratic Party? Was Bill Clinton the head of the Democratic Party? Was Donald Trump the head of the Republican Party? Was Ronald Reagan the head of the Republican Party? I pretty much think the sitting president is, by definition, the head of the party, But, of course, Newsom has to say that Joe Biden is not the head of the party because nobody who's running for anything wants Joe Biden to come and stand next to them and campaign for them because he is an anvil around their neck. 
This is one of the things I like about Democratic strategist Mark Penn is he's not afraid to tell the truth about that. We're not really seeing a discipline in the Democratic Party to close ranks behind the president, certainly going into the midterms. Uh, Governor Newsom wasn't correct. The, the president is the head of the Democratic Party, is responsible for the leadership. AOC did the president no favors by not at least endorsing the president's reelection. So, uh, look, obviously this president is in a difficult position, is facing job ratings below 40 percent. We have seen both Barack Obama you know, and President Clinton turn around from situations like this, turn around from disastrous midterms. Look, I think the task was quite daunting. I haven't seen an indication that the president is going to do that. But right now, going into the midterms, it is a party divided upon itself. Well, and a party is divided because it doesn't have a clear vision and leadership. And Joe Biden has embraced the wacko side of the party, the green nut jobs of the party. And any moderates who are left know that if they go along with Joe Biden, or excuse me, if they don't go along with Joe Biden, like let's say Tim Ryan decided that he wanted to return to his pro-life position that he held up until like, I think, 2013. Uh, Tim Ryan would lose all of his Democratic Party support because people like AOC and Ilhan Omar and Rashidi Tlaib and all and Mondaire Jones and all the other wackos on the Democratic side are full bore, unrestrained abortion. Do I think Tim Ryan in his heart of hearts really wants to be advocating for the abortion of children at 40 weeks? Probably not. But what his personal position is doesn't matter. In fact, the most, um, <laughs> the biggest dodge in political history, one of them, is when Mario Cuomo, Andrew and Chris, Chris's dad, said that he was personally against abortion, but uh, his policy was for it. Excuse me, if you're going to be a leader and you're not going to lead via your own personal convictions, what good are you? I'll answer that. Not any good at all. Your personal convictions should manifest themselves in your public policy, and if it is an unpopular public policy, then you should either change your position, which is what Tim Ryan has done, or, here's the better idea, you should advocate, articulate eloquently your position so as to win other people to your position. But Joe Biden doesn't know what he believes because he doesn't know what day of the week it is. He's told what to do by the people around him, the handlers around him. So he's not going to change because they're not going to change. They're radicals. They're leftists. And it is into that inviting environment that J.D. Vance will seek the U.S. Senate seat as the Republican nominee for the spot held by Rob Portman. We'll talk to J.D. next as the summer campaign is heating up like the temperature, building toward a November face-off against Democrat Tim Ryan.